What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Unlockables podcast, the story of video games, the people who play them, and the memories made along the way. I am your host. My name is Eric. And if this is your first time listening or your returning listener, I'd like to thank you so much for tuning in. Wherever, whenever in time and space you might be located, it means a lot to me that you're listening right now, giving me just a little bit of the time out of your busy week to stop in and see what I have to say. Now, this is going to be a very important episode, so I'm just going to dive right into it. Not going to waste time with any kind of fluff at the beginning here because I'm very excited. It's that time of year again. If you're a returning listener from the SideQuesting podcast, you know around this time last year, I did an episode called My State of the Industry Address, kind of how the president does a State of the Union address every year. And I'm very excited. I am officially announcing today that I am going to be a candidate. Yes, I am declaring my candidacy for president of video games. It's very exciting, I know. And if elected, I will make many, many positive changes upon the industry in which I will govern with a benevolent and totally not iron fist. But I'm very excited uh, to bring you the 2022 edition of the State of the Industry address, if you so will. Current president of video games, Jeff Keighley, I'm coming for your job, man. Uh, I will be hosting the pool parties next summer, not you. But anyways, this, the purpose of this episode is to kind of what I did last year for SideQuesting podcast is at the end of June, beginning of July. I'm not exactly sure when that episode happened. Uh, I did this little kind of breakdown of the industry, kind of where things stood after the big shows, because in my opinion, the big events kind of tell us a lot about where the industry is headed as a whole and where it currently stands. And while there were more events than ever this year, I think it still holds true. We got a lot of information as to kind of where the major players in the industry are standing. And the way I'll do this is I'll talk briefly about a couple of general topics uh, that I feel pretty passionately about just in the gaming industry itself. And then what we'll do is we'll take a look at where the industry stands through the eyes of the big three through PlayStation, Xbox and Nintendo. And maybe some mentions of you know, like PC here and there, what some other people are doing. But uh, the big three really still drive the industry. They're the ones making the games. They're the ones making the giant acquisitions. <laughs> so th that's really been a, one of the big news stories, and we'll touch on that a little bit. And it's really whatever the console makers decide to do is kind of the way the industry goes, right? I mean, you still have your PC players, your Steams, and your Epics and all that kind of stuff. And they do play an important part in the industry. But really, it's the big three that kind of drive everything. It's uh, the quote unquote console war between Xbox and PlayStation. It's whatever the hell Nintendo is doing uh, across the ocean at any given time. That's what affects the industry the most. And we're here to take a look at it. We're here to break it all down for good or for bad. We're going to look at where these guys stand, where the industry is going. Uh, I really do love this because I think, well, I may say on Twitter that I hate the industry a lot, that it drives me absolutely insane. Uh, it's something that we, for better or worse, all participate in by our love of video games. And I think it's important to look at it with a critical eye to understand where things are and where we're going for good or for bad. And to just kind of make some recommendations about what each of the companies can do to, I guess, be better versions of themselves. Because uh, as president of video games, I will be holding everybody to the, the highest possible standard. And a lot of things are going to change. Let me tell you, there are going to be a lot of things that make the gaming world better overall. Maybe, hopefully, we shall see. How will I become president of video games? I'm not even sure. 
I'm not even sure how it's going to happen, but uh, I will put together a cabinet of the best of the best video game people to help me make the decisions. So those of you, my podcasting friends, if you get a phone call in the next couple of weeks, you'll know what I'm doing for sure. And uh, if you want to be part of my team, uh, let me know. I've got openings at uh, Video Game FBI, uh, Video Game Department of Transportation. I need someone to work on warp tube technology. Got a lot of great plans. So I don't know how long I'm going to keep this stupid shtick up throughout this episode, but we shall see. And I'm very excited to break this down. So I think without any more droning on, I feel like we should just jump into it, right? There's no better time like the present than to talk about what the F is going on in video games right now. break this episode into three parts so this first part and the second part are going to be talking about something that isn't directly related to the big three specifically but it kind of affects the industry as a whole and then in part three we'll take a look at the big three and break down what is going on with our good friends phil spencer jim ryan and i don't know doug bowser i didn't say reggie but it's not reggie anymore Uh, we're going to take a look at that so Uh, The first part I wanted to focus on was something that caught my eye. I know it's been going on, but I really, it really hammered home the situation when I saw it kind of play out. Not live exactly, but let me just tell you the story a little bit here. The uh, part one I'm talking about inclusivity and capital G gamers. So here's what happened. I released an episode before this one. And before my interview with Phil from Deleted Saves, shout out, go listen to that episode and go listen to his show or else titled event season and you how to manage your expectations. Right. And I feel like a lot of the frenzy of the video game industry gets kicked up because of the hype machine, blah, 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 all this stuff. It's good to be excited. We covered that in that episode. That's totally fine. It is what it is. So because of that reason, I didn't actually watch any of the shows live. I lied. Maybe I watched the state of play live, like out of the corner of my eye. But I didn't actually watch any of the shows live. I kind of got most of my news secondhand. And then I went back a few days later after the general hubaloo, hullabaloo, whatever, however you say that, wore down from the various Xbox, PlayStation showcases and all that kind of stuff. And this happened while I was watching the Xbox Bethesda showcase specifically. And I'll admit, with me being able to watch it without like the hype machine bubbling me up, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was a pretty good presentation. I was relatively impressed, moderately excited for a lot of the stuff that I saw. I think that's really cool. Give me Silk Song, Team Cherry. I love you. Please release Silk Song soon. 
which the caveat for the Xbox showcase was that everything they were showing was supposed to be out within the next 12 months. We'll see that, which is first thing, very smart way. And is one of the things that I, I kind of mentioned in my hype episode about managing expectations. Pretty smart way for Xbox to not commit to any specific release dates for anything, right? They just pretty much said that everything that's going to be shown at the show will be out on Xbox or Game Pass within the next 12 months. So I think that's a great idea to shoot for kind of a time window and be like, hey, this is the next 12 months. This is what's coming and not commit yourself to any hard dates. I think that's a really great lesson learned. Good job, Xbox. I think that's a perfect way to manage expectations and to not get the general frenzy whipped up over arbitrary release dates. So good job. I hope the industry takes notice. Do more of that, please. Just be like, hey, within the next 12 months, this is what we're kind of looking at. And so that way, if you're like, hey, this game needs a little bit more polish, it didn't have a set in stone release date that people just get themselves worked up into. As the release date gets closer, you can just be like, hey, 12 months, that's the time window. But who knows? I, I guarantee what's going to happen is not all these games are going to release within that time frame. And as that 12 months get close, people are going to be like, it's one day to the 12 top clock time frame or 12 month time frame. Blah, 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 where are our games at? It's, relax. Seriously, calm down, sir. You need to just sit down. The games will come. You have plenty of other things to play. Please shoot. So now that I'm off on that rambling tangent, uh, during the Xbox Bethesda showcase, which, like I said, I genuinely had a good time watching. I enjoyed it. I watched it on YouTube on I think it was Bethesda's channel and the, the, the chat replay was on. So you got to see the live chat that was happening on YouTube during the presentation. And that really killed the entire mood of watching that thing for me because I just kept seeing the chat out of the corner of my eye. And there were people that were genuinely excited for certain things, but a majority of the people... And I, I can't really tell how many it was because, you know, the chat moves very fast when there's lots of people watching like that. Like, I don't know how professional streamers do it because their chat's just moving so fast. It's like, how do you like talk or interact with anybody? But the general discourse of the capital G gamers TM community was, for lack of a better word, really shit. Their attitudes were shit. Their misogyny and racism was shit. It was just generally, generally awful. And this brings me to part one, inclusivity and capital G gamers. First of all, because it was the Xbox Bethesda showcase, people's expectations were not set properly. People were screaming in the chat after every game. Fallout 5, Elder Scrolls 6. First of all, why would you even expect those to be shown here? We haven't even been shown anything of Starfield yet up to this point, And that game just got delayed. Why would they show you Elder Scrolls 6? Why would they show you Fallout 5? Look at how you're acting when Starfield got delayed. So calm down. There's no need for that. I don't know why. Anytime one of those games wasn't shown, they just spammed in the chat. Skip, 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 skip. And I was like, that's really disrespectful. Like people are putting their hard work and time and creative efforts into making these games and you're just spamming skip because it's not what you want to see. And just being obnoxious and stupid about it. And I know it's easy to do on the internet, but still, like, contain yourselves. It's, it's very disrespectful, right? So, there you go. First of all, manage your expectations, Capital G Gamers. Why would you expect Fallout 5 or Elder Scrolls 6 to be announced? It's not going to happen. 
we've known since this was announced that Starfield's going to be the star of the show. They're not going to do anything and set even more ridiculous, unreasonable expectations with Fallout 5 or Elder Scrolls 6 when they have to nail the release of Starfield. Like, it has to happen because that was a large investment from Xbox. So, Gamers TM, calm down. Manage your expectations. Like, don't scream like an unruly mob in the chat. It's stupid. You look dumb. Second of all, this was the more disappointing thing than even screaming for games that hadn't even been announced yet in the chat, right? Anytime there was a game on screen that featured a main character that was a woman, that was a different color other than white, that was implied to be lesbian, same sex, anything like that, the chat went fucking wild, screaming "Woman, Woman in my game, Woman bad, W-H-A-M-E-N, the kind of pseudo-meme spelling of women that people have come to be sh- like shouting chats anytime they see one on the screen. Politics and gaming bad. And my favorite of all of these chat call-outs, I caught one person and I paused the chat to go back and look at it, who said... Don't worry, boys, we'll be the main character in games again one day. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, it's 2022, my guy. Video games have been around for 40 years. White male hetero characters have been the main character for 40 years. You have experienced those stories. You've gotten to live those fantasies. Gaming is a culture beyond straight white male people and other people want to see stories represented by who they are and feel included. We have gotten the white male protagonist saves the world story thousands of times throughout video games. I'm tired of that story. I think that story is so worn down and overrated. Like you have so many thousands of games where you can go and play that story, right? I want to hear different stories. I want to hear stories about people that aren't similar to me, right? Not that, not that like people in video games are relatable. Nobody's ever going to be the size of Marcus Phoenix. Nobody's ever going to be like Master Chief on an alien ring or whatever. But seriously, this is unacceptable and uncalled for. 100%. It's 2022. Gaming is worldwide. It's not mainstream anymore. And Developers and people who work in the industry that want to tell different stories should be allowed to tell those stories and not have the unruly gamers TM mob scream at them every time they want to do a character that's different than a white hetero male. Inexcusable. Like it it was just, it was unbelievable. And wanting to put a woman as the lead in a video game is not politics. Wanting to put an LGBTQ person as the lead in a game is not politics. How is that politics? That's unbelievable. It is not, and if you're going to complain about politics in video games, every game has politics in it. Like, Call of Duty literally has the politics of war in it. Gears of War is about the power of centralized governments, despite the fact that humanity is faced with extinction. Don't ever play Disco Elysium if you don't want to be involved in politics. Video games have politics in them. Nobody tell the white people that Far Cry 5 is actually about right-wing religious militarism. 
and fanaticism. Like they'll freak out about that. Don't t- don't tell them that at all. They'll 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 go crazy. Uh, not to get overly political on the podcast, but like I said, having a woman or be lead or having a gay person be lead is not political. It's not about politics. It just makes you uncomfortable because of your fragile identity. You need to be validated by seeing your character on screen be the white hetero male and the hero of the story because you have to feel like you're the hero of the story. And when you're not, you feel threatened and you feel alienated and you don't like it. And so you scream whamming in the chat. You need to get help if that's, how you, if that's the way you feel and that's the way you act. Because there are other people in the world besides you. You have big main character syndrome, my guy. You may think you're the main character of your own story, but you are nothing in this, the story of somebody else that lives 3,000 miles away from you, except if you're screaming at them on Twitter for just being a complete a-hole. Another part where this came up was when they, they, one of the things that they released, and this was kind of, I have different opinions on the actual entity of the game itself. They announced The Last of Us Part 1 remake, right? They're remaking Part 1 of The Last of Us from the ground up because the show is coming out, okay? They want to have, they want to synergize the release. They want to have a product that the people can play when they inevitably get a flux of new fans from the show. Like that's how it's going to happen, right? I understand the business move. That's not what this is about. They posted, Naughty Dog's been posting screenshots of what the Last of Us remastered version and the Part 1 remake look like side by side. And whether or not you can tell the difference, I, I'm not a graphics person, so I don't really ever look at that. It, it's not a big deal to me. One of the things that they posted was about one of the game's uh, side NPC characters that plays a relatively significant role. Tess, I believe it's Tess, right? So they posted the picture of the old Tess who looks significantly younger than her age is stated in the game. Her age is relatively closer to, Je- to, to Joel. And then they posted the new Tess that would be in the remake looking much older, much more worn, much closer to the age that she stated to look. Not to mention, I'll, I'll mention that after I bring it into the thing. So apparently this was unacceptable with one of the top comments I was shown was, she went from an 8 out of 10 to a minus 1 out of 10, and now I have nothing nice to look at. It's like, you idiot. Why are you sexualizing an in-game digital creation and now like that's going to ruin your entire experience of the playthrough? What the hell is your problem? Why is that even an issue? A, a game is not being made to satisfy your whatever kind of sick sexual fantasies you have about hooking up with some kind of younger-looking digital thing. Like, it's ridiculous, and you should just shut up and delete Twitter and, and go out and get a life. And seriously, go get therapy, because it sounds like your sense of self-worth is threatened anytime your narrow worldview is challenged. So, just get out of here. But, like I said, it, the, the, the attitudes in general of capital G Gamers TM, like, this has got to end. This has got to be done, and it's time for publishers everywhere i know it's a lot of extra work but if your game has any kind of multiplayer or community functionality around it like this shit should just be stamped out and just be like unacceptable if i saw people saying this kind of stuff in my communities and stuff they'd be banned i don't care it's gone like you need to start putting down the hammer people need to learn that there are consequences for saying things and that is not being woke that's just some people confuse being woke with just common decency and respect 
you can be nice to people and treat people and include people without being quote unquote woke or whatever the definition of that trigger word now is thrown around because it's just been said to death anytime someone agrees with something. I haven't called woke just for wanting to be nice to people. It'd be like, oh, there goes the woke agenda again. It's like, okay, I'm a genuinely nice person. Like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not allowed to be nice to people without being woke. It's ridiculous. So if you are listening to this and you feel offended, I hate to tell you, but it's probably you. You're probably one of the people. And I would take a step back to re-examine your relationship with video games, to re-examine your relationship with the internet, and look inwards on yourself and work on yourself. And seriously, go get help. Because I've done it. I've gone to therapy to work on my self-worth and to work on issues. And I have come out in a much better mental state than I ever thought I would be in, than I've ever been in. It works. Just being able to talk to a neutral person and express things in a place where you won't be judged it helps so yeah that's part one we should be more inclusive capital g gamers should shut the hell up it's time for other groups of people to have their stories told in video games because people like me we've had our stories told if you don't like it just don't play it you're not entitled to anything you don't work at a game company A story doesn't have to fit you specifically. It's a story put out for mass consumption. Just because you are a fan of a thing and this is toxic fandom does not mean you own said thing and you have a right and a say to said thing. Right? Allowed to enjoy it or not enjoy it for any number of critical reasons, but whining about women or LGBTQ or or politics or all this stuff, it's got to stop. Just shut up. Seriously. It's, It's old. It's dumb. You're dumb. that was part one just talking about inclusivity and the unruly gamer mob it's 2022 that's unfortunately still the state of the gaming community like i said not everybody is like this i would like to believe that this is a smaller section of the gaming community than a larger section of it because all the people i know in the gaming community are wonderful people all the people i've met doing this podcast are incredible people And it just turns out that most of the times the worst people are the loudest and the most annoying. And they're obviously looking for attention because, like I said, their needs aren't being met or or for their self-identity or whatever. So, yeah, maybe if you just ignore them, just just ignore them. Just don't say anything. Don't try and come up with a clever tweet to, like, try and ratio them or whatever the kids, like, try to do these days. It's cool to, like, ratio people and dunk on them or whatever the hell that even means. Just, just, Just ignore the person. Just ignore them. Just don't say anything to them. They want you to react. Just just don't. Just leave them alone. Let's jump into part two because this is something I'm also passionate about. Listen, this is a rant episode. This is my platform for being president of video games. So strap in because this is going to get crazy before (laughs) we finish up here. 
my second part, part two, is going to be on NFTs and video games and the concept of play to earn. Disclaimer, I am by no means an expert in video games. I am by no means an expert in cryptocurrency, in blockchain technology, in NFTs. Uh, I am not an expert or smart on any of those things. But what I do have is common sense. And I can smell bullshit, <laughs> which is exactly what this is. Uh, I've, I've, I don't know if I've said it before. NFTs in video games are a shameless ca- cash grab. Hands down, 100%. The very practice of NFTs is predatory. I have heard stories from thousands of artists who have said that their art is stoled and, stolen. People make it an NFT. It exists on the blockchain. Someone's already bought it, and they get no money from that, which is a shame. People shouldn't have their works of art stolen. If you create something artistically, you and you alone, unless you license it, should have the ability to make money off of it, right? And if someone else is making money off of it, they should be paying you a fee or a royalty or a license or something like that. But with cryptocurrency, with blockchain, NFT, all this stuff, there's no regulation. There's no protection. Digital art is already very difficult to protect. I know several people that have art accounts on Instagram and on Twitter who have had art stolen and there's just no repercussions because a bigger page comes along. It's an art posting page and posts the art and gets the likes and whatever because of that nonsense. And it's it's just it's really, really not fair. This needs to stop. But now video games are getting into this, right? Ubisoft's already made a big push that was failed spectacularly in one of their Ghost Recon games, I think it was, on their Quartz Marketplace or whatever, where you could buy and sell NFT items. Stupid. Dumb. Square Enix just fire-sold half of their not Final Fantasy studios to pay for investments in the blockchain and NFT, which kind of collapsed and took a dump because the economy's crashing over the last few months, which I think is hilarious that you get for jumping on a bandwagon. Uh, EA has talked about this money grabbing EA who already makes $500 billion off of FIFA ultimate team transactions. They don't need to be predatorily monetizing any other aspect of their business. Like this is, this is happening and it's happening to an even more extreme as we start to see these NFT based games and their claim of play to earn. They build in some kind of economy they have exclusive items where you can like trade items and currency in the game for real life currency. And there's some stories about people doing this in like lesser fortunate places like the Philippines or where for some people doing this makes them more money than a standard job in their country. And that's fine if you're going to have a rigged system and you find something that pays more money than a job in your country, by all means. Everybody in life exploits the system, so I'm not, I'm, not advo- I'm not advocating that you don't exploit the system, and I'm certainly not advocating that you break the law and do exploit the system, but if it makes you money in a legal way and it's not hurting anybody, go for it. That's fine. I'm not arguing about that, but the very concept of the idea of play to earn or play with this kind of monetary incentive behind it, video games are supposed to be fun. As soon as you start introducing the concept of earning things, it doesn't become a game. It's, it's a job, right? It's something, it's a job. It's work. You do it because you're trying to get money off of it, right? It's job disguised as you're just doing tasks to generate whatever currency or NFTs you can to exchange for money. That's a job. 
it was the same thing. I don't know. Maybe some of you, if a younger audience won't remember this, but years ago when World of Warcraft just launched, people would pay other people to farm gold in games and then buy the gold from them. <laughs> that's not that's not fun. That's a, that's a job. That's a job. <laughs> it's the same concept. People are also using NFTs as a kind of ticket, right? If you own an NFT, you get access to like an exclusive club with exclusive perks. And the most famous being that Bored Ape Yacht Club thing that celebrities seem to have bought into and a bunch of people have gotten stolen, which I think is hilarious. Like you reap what you sow, essentially. And promising you can buy land in the metaverse. You can have exclusive access to these, these spots in the metaverse, a thing that isn't like a, a, even a tangible, quantifiable thing yet. They're just taking advantage of buzzy words and cryptocurrency and all this other stuff that's kind of flying around like unregulated unreg- Wild West. But, oh, if I own this NFT, I have the right to purchase digital land in a digital world that is ultimately on the server of a company that made it. Wow, what a concept, right? It's not like you're owning land in like a free space. Whatever NFT you do purchase from these people, whatever NFT that, you know, promises you whatever and whatever metaverse has been set up. You might think you have the blockchain, whatever, to prove that you own it. But at the end of the day, those assets all still live on a server. And when the company decides to shut down the server because they've gotten all the money or whatever, you don't own Jack. You own nothing. It's not a thing that you just own because the community around it, NFTs create a quote unquote feeling of scarcity right because it's supposed to like represent like something you can own digitally it's yours because you have the blockchain code or signature or whatever to prove that you're the authentic owner as opposed to me who just right clicked and save it to a file on my computer right it is people creating and this has happened especially during the pandemic um you saw it around pokemon cards you saw it around retro games all those shot up in price because of the concept of of scarcity and they suddenly had value because they were collector's items. It's the same thing here. People are creating this fear of scarcity and FOMO to drive prices up on these digital things that you might think that you own because blockchain, but you don't actually own because if the company just decides to shut down, they already got your money and the servers aren't live anymore and you don't own Jack. I don't know if they can like send it to you, but at the end of the day, it's like, oh, here's your picture of a monkey in a hat. Congratulations. As much as you would claim to own digital assets because of blockchain, those assets ultimately reside on a server. If that server gets shut down, you don't own anything. So please, 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 please. This is the direction we're going, it seems, right? And Ubisoft and EA and a lot of these other bigger players in the industry have demonstrated that at the first sign of a chance of making money, they want to jump into that. And it's about giving player agency and all this stuff and a chance to be unique and express yourself and blah, 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 all this stuff. It's, it's like, no, it's not. This is a scam to make money. It is solely a scam to make money. And that is it. Be wary of the promise of digital ownership. Like, seriously. Seriously. Just be careful. I do not think this is a good thing for video games. I do not think it has a place in video games. Uh, once this becomes a thing, I feel like the premise of games have kind of lost their meaning. If your sole premise of playing a game is like monetary value or to collect NFTs or or whatever this BS is. Games are meant to have for you to have fun. Games are works of art. Games create emotional connections with you. They have meaning in your life. I don't want to see this thing that I love turned into a soulless corporate grind money machine. 
even though it already kind of has. spent railing against nfts and the kids right uh no just just be careful with that kind of stuff it, it's very predatory it's unregulated and don't fall for it and don't give these people any more of your money than they already get from you uh spend it on the indie developers who are creating incredible experiences to this day uh please that will make you much happier instead of playing the same game over and over for promise of rich rewards so don't don't fall for it now let's move on to part three and this is where i'm going to discuss the big three as in nintendo xbox and playstation i'm going to do it a little bit different than i did last year last year i did one main strength and one main weakness for each of the big three console producers i'm not going to do that this year i'm just going to kind of reflect on the things i mentioned last year where we're standing this year and where like the trajectory is kind of going. And a lot of this might seem obvious. You might think, well, yeah, duh, like this is obviously where it's going. But I find that we talk about a lot of these terms in a lot of the shows that we do, uh, but we don't really kind of discuss them as a whole and like project them into the future and just kind of see where things are going, especially in context of one another. Like if, if you're doing an Xbox show, obviously you're focusing on Xbox. If you're doing a PlayStation show, you're obviously focusing on PlayStation. So I'm just going to try and like wrap up a lot of those thoughts here in this one part in this segment of the show and kind of figure out where we're going from here. So we're going to start off with Xbox because I think Xbox is probably the easiest, most straight, most straightforward right here. And because I called a lot of predictions last year that Xbox seems to be implementing, right? So there's a couple of things that we need to touch on Xbox. First of all, Xbox is on a spending spree, right? Purchased Bethesda last year. Uh, tail end of last year, early this year. Don't remember exactly which one, but uh, purchased Activision Blizzard. Big moves, right? Big moves. And this is a trend in the video game industry currently. I'm calling it the great consolidation, right? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if I've coined these terms or not. I call it that like at the beginning of this year. And other people may have said it first, but this is the natural evolution of competition in a capitalist society, right? The big dogs have risen to the top, right? Xbox, Sony, and Nintendo, they make the consoles. They People make stuff to put on their consoles to play, right? And then PC is just kind of always there. Like PC, PC is the unspoken bedrock of the video game industry because game, gaming on PC will always be like a ubiquitous thing. So, But the next natural step, and Sony kind of kickstarted this, was... In the, the early 2000s, late 2000s, early 2010s, it was about getting your games on as many consoles as possible to sell as many units as, as possible. 
the business model has shifted with microtransactions, with subscription services. The business model has shifted. Xbox is a big part of why that is. They, with Game Pass, and then so are uh, League of Legends is a big one. They started that shit back in 06 about selling new champs, selling skins, making a free-to-play game monetizable. And then really the peak ultimate form of that, the culmination of all of that is Fortnite and then the other battle royals that followed, right? So that is the trend of the industry going forward. And it is the trend of Microsoft specifically. It has come to light, and this is a huge thing that I called last year. It's come to light that I believe it was Xbox is working with Samsung to develop some kind of Xbox cloud gaming app, smart TV thing. Uh, and this is exactly what I said would happen last year, right? During the, the state of the industry address last year. It was revealed during the Epic Apple case, for whatever reason, uh, Xbox does not make money selling consoles. They don't make money selling hardware. If anything, it's relatively close to break even on a good day, uh, selling consoles for a loss on a bad day. Their business model has always been sell consoles at a loss, get them in people's living rooms, make up revenue on Xbox Live subscriptions and software sales, right? This has morphed into a more extreme version of this model because of Game Pass. The model now is get as many games on Game Pass, get as many people subscribed to Game Pass so you have a constant flow of money and eventually leverage their competitive advantage in the cloud computing space to phase out hardware and consoles altogether. Whether it's an app on a smart TV, whether it's a Fire Stick type device or a Chromecast that plugs into the back of your TV, whether it's just an app on your phone or you, it's in the browser, whatever you do, that's the game plan. Xbox will not be a physical known as a physical thing that you put on your desk to play games. There is no Netflix box that plays Netflix, right? There will be no, I mean, I'd be, I'd be venturing to bet that there will always be some kind of Xbox thing that plays games, but of it's going to come from it's going to be like a steam like storefront where you just install it it's going to be it's going to be something like that that's the shift of the industry you can see it that's what allowed players like amazon luna and stadia and all these other people to get into it like they're leveraging cloud to be able to stream games this has been the dream this has been what we've wanted for a long as soon as the first people were like hey you can stream movies to netflix and not have to pay for discs People were like, well, that'd be sweet with video games. And this is where Microsoft is going. It's very, very, very clear. And this is the catalyst behind Xbox's spending spree to buy Activision Blizzard, despite their less than reputable. Uh, uh, Activision Blizzard is a dump for fire. I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all. Like Bobby Kotick needs to go. He just got re-up for the board, which is unbelievable. Like Xbox is probably biting the bullet on that one because it's probably in their agreement that he can't be fired until after the acquisition is complete. Fuck you, Bobby. Seriously. Uh, go away. We don't want you. Uh, anyways, what Xbox has discovered, as the big streaming cor corporations have discovered, as now there's Netflix used to be the big dog on the block, right? Now there's competition. There's Peacock. There's Hulu. There's Disney Plus. There's HBO Max. There's all these other competitors to it. And that is why Netflix has been spending so much money on quality original content. Because, like I said, last year, and I coined the term before Kotaku and IGN did, it's not a console war anymore. It's a content war. It's a content war. 
And PlayStation is kind of to blame for that because everybody saw the success that PlayStation had at the end of the PS4 life cycle when they hit hard with their exclusives. Ghost of Tsushima, Horizon, God of War. You know, those big ones. Last of Us. Days Gone? Maybe? <laughs> I don't know too much about that one. But this is why Microsoft's been on a spending spree. They know that if they have the best content exclusive to Xbox Game Pass, people will subscribe to Xbox Game Pass. Because that's where the games will be. And Xbox Game Pass is an amazing proposition. It's an amazing value, right? I think the most expensive version is 15 bucks for Ultimate. So that's 100, what is that, $160 a year or something like that. If you buy three brand new games at $60, $70, that's all you paid for it. So if you play three brand new games on Xbox Game Pass, you've justified paying for it for the whole year. Not to mention some games you can cloud stream, some games you can play on PC. So yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's, it's absolutely, it's, it's such a good value. And it's such a corporatized idea of monetization that I hate it, but it's such a good value that you're just like, you can't not, right? I'm not currently subscribed to Game Pass, but I have subscribed twice to play stuff I wanted to play. It's very convenient. So that's the strategy going forward. It, it's that simple. It's Xbox Game Pass. It's acquire studios. It's develop original content to support Game Pass. That's how Microsoft is finding their competitive advantage. And they've won a lot of the goodwill back from the community that has, to this day, we still talk about how terrible the launch of the Xbox One was. It's absolutely garbage. <laughs> it's absolutely terrible. And that stained them so bad. But they're finally, give, got to give Phil his credit. You know, as, as much as I, you know, I don't trust anybody at the head of any gaming corporation. Uh, Reggie was the only one. But, you know... Phil's done a pretty good job of turning that ship around. And no, it's not just him. There's, you know, there's other people involved. Uh, because of this reason, Xbox kind of kicked this off. The great consolidation will continue. And we're going to see more and more studios get eaten by Sony and by Microsoft. And by Embracer Group, who, by the way, owns like 80 studios now and doesn't put out a console. So, Yeah. It's very interesting. This, and this is where we're at with Xbox. And this is where we're going forward. This is what it's going to be. The days of physical medium are, are slowly coming to an end. Because of this. I'd be hard pressed to bet that you can find a game that you can walk into a store, pick up and put a disc in and play it. Without any kind of internet connection or update or anything like that. I don't think one exists. If, some, if there is one, please let me know. Even Nintendo games. Even putting a cartridge in a Nintendo Switch, you have to pop it in there, wait for it to install or some update or whatever. It's just how it is now. The age of physical medium is coming to an end and we are in the age of streaming and digital. That is the real state of the industry and Xbox is on the forefront and they have a big competitive advantage because they have a crap ton of money. Think about it. Let's just say 25 million people, right? Let's just say everybody's buying the $10 price point of Game Pass, it's $250 million a month from subscription services, right? The biggest AAA games and the biggest Hollywood movies have budgets of like 250 to 300 million. So you're recouping costs for a giant AAA game every single month that 25 million people pay $10 a month. And it's, some people are paying more than that. <laughs> 
that's an incredible, incredible advantage. The console war is no longer decided by who sells the most hardware. It it's absolutely isn't. That way of thinking is dead and gone. Bury it, put it in the ground. So here's going into the future, what Xbox's priorities should be. I laid out three of them that I was thinking about this. So Xbox priorities should be number one, continue to develop the cloud Game Pass offering. It is currently the best value in gaming. It is the singular competitive advantage that I think gives Xbox and Microsoft the edge right now. Sony's hardware may be better. No people are sick of hearing about it, but Game Pass is, I think it's the real deal and I think it's here to stay and I think it's here to change the industry. Number two, Microsoft needs to prove that they can manage all these studios and put out generation-defining AAA titles, right? They need to justify all of this money that they spent. They already have some amazing titles on, under, their, under their banner now. Activision Blizzard is huge. Overwatch, World of Warcraft, Diablo, like all those things exist already and they're under Xbox now. Bethesda needs to prove that the purchase was worth it. They have to deliver on Starfield. Like they have to. That is the big test. They had Halo. That's not doing so great. Forza Horizon 5 was cool for a while. It's kind of like, that's kind of petered out, right? The conversation is still around these first party titles for PlayStation. Microsoft needs killer AAA titles that they can put on Game Pass to make it an even better value. They need to prove that they can manage the studios and deliver. That's the big challenge for Xbox right now. Number three, make Activision not a terrible place to work and respect unionization efforts going on at Activision and across the industry. This has been a big story the last few years, and I can't even fit this into this episode because it's such a big topic. It deserves its own discussion. There has been a push to eliminate crunch, to increase working conditions for people working in video games. And that's fantastic. And I think because of the power that Microsoft now wields with all these acquisitions and with the controversy surrounding Activision Blizzard, if they can right that ship and protect workers and prove that video games cannot be a terrible industry to work in, I think that's a big win. That would be huge for them. It would win them a lot of consumer goodwill, I feel like it. And this can be done without financial ruin. It's been proven. If you re go and read about the studio that produced Cuphead, they originally announced their DLC, The Delicious Last Course, for 2019, I think. They released it back then, but because of COVID and all this other stuff, it's been delayed like three years. And the studio head basically came out and said that she didn't care. She doesn't care when it comes out. They're not going to fall into financial ruin. Like it's not going to happen. They want to make sure they take care of their workers first and foremost. They are going to put out that DLC with no crunch, with no overtime, with no mistreatment of workers, with the option of any given day a worker can come and say, hey, I'm feeling burnt out. I'm mentally exhausted. Something's going on at home. Go home. Take care of yourself first. And that's incredible. That's incredible. More people should take the Cuphead Studio approach of doing that. It's very rare. And Honestly, that shouldn't even be celebrated, right? That should just be the norm. Take care of the people that are working for you. It's not your whole life. I think Xbox can make the push to really make those changes in the industry, and that would win them a lot of consumer goodwill and hopefully ban Bobby Kotick from the industry for the rest of his life. Bye, whatever. Those are the things that Microsoft needs to do, that Xbox needs to do going forward. I'm sure there are others. Those are the immediate ones that I see. Let's move on to my good friends over at Sony PlayStation. 
Sony's major strength continues to be its identity as the console where you get really high AAA titles and unique stories, not to mention their hardware where is pretty freaking good. So this has been their strength. This has been the momentum that they have ridden since the middle slash end of the, the PlayStation 4. They started building all the way back with Uncharted is that if you want high quality story-driven, single-player narrative experiences that will subvert your expectations and take you into new places. This is what the Sony PlayStation identity has come to be known. That That's every argument you see on Twitter. It's like, yes, but exclusives. Yes, but exclusives. Yes, but exclusives. And really, they had that going for them. Last year on my State of the Industry 2021, I said that Sony's biggest weakness was they didn't have a response to Game Pass yet. And now, over a year later, they finally do. They remedied that, albeit to varying degrees of success. They have come out with a revamped PlayStation Plus subscription with different tiers. I will admit, I looked at this for a few minutes. I don't really understand all the tiers. There are people that I know with other shows that have done a great job of breaking down the tiers and understanding all those offerings. That That's great. This is the starting step for PlayStation to have some kind of Game Pass competitor. That is important for them, I think, because I think they realize if they as much as they don't want to have that, as much as they want to continue to be like this traditional game studio, I don't, they, they can't. It's not possible. They need to have that kind of streaming presence. And Microsoft has basically forced them into their arena, into the streaming cloud space. So that should be really interesting. But. The initial response to the PlayStation Plus streaming in in my initial just perusings of the Internet and just talking to people has seemed kind of lukewarm. The tiers are confusing. The legacy titles that's offering are not spectacular. Even a lot of the current modern titles are things that are like most if, if you have a PlayStation like you've already played these titles or the reason why you have a PlayStation in the first place is to play these things. So right out of the gate. It, it's not as good of an offering as Game Pass, and it's not going to be because Microsoft's had a few years to kind of build this up. I'm hoping and I'm thinking and, and I think that it will become more valuable as time goes on. I think they'll, they'll figure it out. The real question will be, and the real thing that would draw people to it is, are they willing to put some of their very highly lauded day one exclusives on this new service, right? Will we see God of War Ragnarok on this service? I don't think we will because I think Sony holds their first party titles in such high regards that they wouldn't do this. But Microsoft's willing to put anything that they produce out on Game Pass on day one because they know no matter what, even if they don't sell physical or digital copies of the game, they're still making money because people are subscribed to Game Pass. (laughs) So we'll have to see if PlayStation Plus is the competitor and that's going to take several months to kind of see how that's shaking out until they are not believe me Jim Ryan will make sure it makes money because that is his first and foremost primary goal I don't even know if he knows what video games are but they'll make sure that it's making money something interesting though which is a kind of a knock against Sony that's been happening and not a knock I think it's a good thing but the people it kind of knocks the whole oh exclusives argument right is they have now put all of their big console exclusive titles on PC, which I think is funny. Insomniac said Spider-Man will never go to PC, but now they're putting it on PC. Last of Us Remake, which was the big thing, was announced. 
is going on PC. Horizon's on PC. God of War's on PC. Days Gone is on PC. So your main argument for these big exclusives is, you know, that that's that's PlayStation's thing. But if you're on PC, because Sony's obviously seen the money, which is why they're doing this. They've decided to put more things on PC. So if you're on PC and you don't have a PlayStation 5, if you're okay waiting like a year or two, you're probably going to get these things. You're probably going to get the God of Wars and the Horizons and all, and all this stuff. So I think that's very interesting. And with the upcoming announcement of all these shows that Sony has in the works, right? There's a, a God of War show. A Last of Us show is coming out at the end of this year. That's why they did the remake, all this stuff. Horizon. Twisted Metal, Gran Turismo, all, all these shows and movies that are in works with all these PlayStation properties, they've obviously seen some kind of money in this strategy. And it seems that Sony is pursuing a strategy of maximum profitization off of their IPs. So it's not just about putting out a good story-based game anymore. It's about putting out a story-based game that can maybe be spun off into some other form of media and make money. They just put an Uncharted movie out. So, I mean, it seems to me that a triple A title at Sony has to serve the purpose of also possibly being a me- uh, original story spun off into a media thing. And I think that's very interesting, right? So it's very clear that their strategy involves around maximizing as much revenue and profit around their IPs, which means squeezing them dry for every last drop of creativity and money, right? Which is why we're about to get the third Last of Us one game in three year- in eight years. Nothing like a little good corporate, corporate synergy, synergy to affect and, and electrify the bottom line, right? So that'll be my really big thing for Sony is I don't want their approach to thinking about making these AAA titles to be this has to be good enough that it can be spun off into a TV show one or two years down the road, right? Because that's literally what they've done with every single one of their properties now is is spun it off into some kind of TV show or movie. (laughs) So I think I wouldn't fall into that trap because you have this reputation of a company that puts out these incredible games and you have a lot of goodwill from the gamers. Don't squander that by trying to do this cross strategy corporate synergy bs i don't think that i mean i'm hopeful for the shows i hope they're going to be exciting I, I honestly don't know but i don't think i like is, is sony only going to want games to be made that they can shift into other media like what is what does that mean exactly and i think that's going to be an interesting question not to be outdone by microsoft sony has been acquiring studios they've been a little bit more picky about it they haven't they haven't made the the earth shattering acquisitions announcements like Bethesda and Activision Blizzard were huge. And it wasn't just Bethesda, it was id Software's uh I forget the name of the parent company because I've been rambling up here for an hour and a half. It's Sony's been a lot more picky about their acquisitions to PlayStation Studios. So uh they snapped up Bungie. I think that was a really good one. Uh that obviously to help with their live service ambitions, which they want to get more live service games out because they've seen that as a successful model. Housemark, Blue Point Games, those are all really, really good acquisitions. Returnal was good. I've heard the Demon Souls remake was good. So those are great, especially Blue Point if you want to remake some of your old, older titles. Cough, cough, Metal Gear Solid, maybe. 
some of the older games, they seem to be really good at that. And Bungie is very surprising. It's kind of a slap to Microsoft because Bungie made Halo and now they're owned by PlayStation. It's, it's kind of it's kind of how Crash Bandicoot and Spyro are now owned by by Microsoft. It, it's the great circle of life. It's it's very funny. So I kind of, again, broke down three things that PlayStation should be focusing on. So first one, you really need to develop PlayStation Plus to compete with Game Pass. That should be first and foremost your biggest priority because shows only last so long. You're only going to get so much out of shows. A streaming style gaming service has the potential to be a years slash decades long thing to change the industry, especially if that's the way it's going. You have to put resources, time, energy, and commit to putting some of your big games on there early to make it a good slash better value proposition than Game Pass. That's what you have to do, right? Number two, you have to continue to invest heavily in unique, well-written AAA experiences, but do not be distracted by the success of your current titles and IPs, right? Don't focus all of your energy onto spinning off Horizon and God of War and Gran Turismo Twisted Metal, all this other stuff into different forms of media, you need to continue to make new forms of stories and tell new stories and have titles of the prestige of those other three or however many I mentioned, however many there are now, right? You, you need to keep doing that. You can't get distracted by what you can't rest on your laurels. You can't say we are the home of unique AAA title experiences and Hey, the only thing we've put out in the last couple of years are a sequel to God of War, a sequel to Horizon and a Last of Us TV show. We've remade, we've remastered and remade The Last of Us. It's like we need new. You need to show more, right? It, it, we got to get more out of this. You have to keep pushing your competitive advantage and prove to people that you can keep putting out these higher quality experiences. That's only going to benefit you. And then put those on PlayStation Plus. That's got to be the solution, I think. Uh, and then the third thing find a way this is in the more immediate future you got to find a way to get more ps5s into people's hands the demand is obviously there they're still sold out almost two years later you can't get one they're very difficult my wife got mine for my birthday she set up a twitter account specifically to follow tracking twitter pages and she tried for like a month and a half to get mine <laughs> god bless her i love her so much but you, you got to figure this out i know there's a chip shortage i know that you know, supply chains, all this stuff is still hurting. It's a bad economic. It looks like we're going to be going into a recession. Inflation is high. If you got to get, you got to state demand. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's ridiculous that we're still kind of hanging out in this cross generation, like stuff's be still being made for PS4, PS5. Like this has got to end. You got to be able to make enough PS5s. Like we're two years in now. And don't even think about putting out a halfway console, a PS5 Pro before you've been able to meet the demand for the regular PS5. Like, that's stupid and dumb. Don't do it. <laughs> Finally, let's talk about everybody's favorite gaming company across the ocean. It is, of course, Nintendo. Oh, Nintendo. You are constantly the hardest to gauge because nobody ever knows what you're doing. <laughs> you're just kind of over there doing your own thing. Uh, Xbox and PlayStation kind of orbit each other. They go for the same audience. Nintendo just is like a shotgun, just sprays and whatever works. I did an episode on the Wii and I dedicated a good portion of that episode to the blue ocean strategy that Nintendo employs. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to it. I kind of deep dive a little bit of the oceans, blue ocean strategy, not too much because business stuff, it's all very boring if you're not excited about that kind of stuff. But 
it very much gets you into the mindset of thinking, okay, this is how Nintendo works, right? The biggest weakness for Nintendo, hands down, there's a couple. They're still selling. The, the Switch is so convenient. I love it because it's allowed me to keep gaming. Uh, it, it, it's really convenient. Just the all the Wii U titles are on it, and the Wii U has an amazing library, regardless of what anyone says. That being said, Nintendo's weakness is still its hardware. The Switch is at this point leagues behind what the series X and the PS five can do and a PC. There are games coming to modern consoles that can't come to the switch because it's too weak. They've tried to leverage streaming to stream games like guardians of the galaxy and the kingdom hearts collections. And I, I've, I have not seen that work ever once their online hardware is still not spectacular. So it's gotta be the hardware. They they need they desperately need the times are changing and they're being left behind. The switch was already outpaced by the PS4 Pro and the Xbox Series or the Xbox One X. God, Xbox and your naming conventions. So the Series X and the PS5 just leaped just leaped so far above when it came out. And still six, seven years later, however many it's been five years later, however many it's been. The Joy-Cons are still bad. The Joy-Cons are still trash. Compared to a PS5, which has weight to it and feels like a piece of hardware, I pick up the Switch and there are times where I'm just like, this feels like cheap plastic. And this makes sense, right? That's Nintendo's Blue Ocean strategy. They want to compare, they want to pursue differentiation at the lowest cost possible. And they achieve that with hardware that isn't currently able to keep up with the times. And Joy-Cons that still aren't fixed and they won't address that the Joy-Cons are a problem. I don't know why. It's stupid. So what was their answer to this? They put out a new Nintendo Switch. But it wasn't the Super Switch or the Nintendo Switch Pro 4K or whatever everybody was predicting. It was the Switch OLED, which added a bigger OLED screen. Ethernet port, woohoo. Exciting stuff like that. Added a better kickstand. Small quality of life improvements that not really anybody asked for. It wasn't the big leap that people were hoping. And what's more has come to light that Nintendo is very worried about the transition to their next console. They're having a difficult time grappling with how to approach it because they've pretty much gone all in on the Switch ecosystem, right? And there are so many Switches in the wild. If you make the jump like you have between the Wii and the Wii U and the Wii U and the Switch where none of your stuff transfers because that's just expected now, that's going to be a huge problem for a lot of people. Like, if you're not able to have your library of Switch games immediately available to you on the next Super Switch or whatever comes out, that is a huge problem. They've just started putting older titles the way that people have been demanding for years on their online service, which the online service is cool, but they're adding stuff way too slow to it. I already have Game Boy Advance stuff on that already. Like, what are we doing here? We just got Nintendo 64 and Genesis stuff, which is hilarious because Sonic. This is solely the problem for Nintendo, and they need to figure out how to do this. And if they don't, it, it's it's weird. Like every every generation for Nintendo is just like a, a coin flip. Like what this going to be? It's like the Super Nintendo was incredible, and then the N64 was not as great, and the GameCube was not as great, and then the Wii was incredible, and then the Wii U didn't get received that well, and then the Switch has been incredible. So it's like it's just like a coin flip anytime with Nintendo. Like what the, what's they're going to do? What's going to happen? They got to nail the transition from something that like for me, the switch is ubiquitous with the way I game now. 
So anything that's not something like the Switch when Nintendo decides to do whatever their next thing is, which they're clearly thinking about. They're also worried because the, they, they're worried they can't fill the demand with the current supply chain issues. So they're obviously having trouble building whatever it is. And they're obviously worried about being able to put out a powerful enough piece of hardware, but also pricing it at the right point because they want to price it as low as possible. They want to be the cost leader. I've said before, I don't know if it's on this show or the last show, is I think Nintendo's line in the sand is three... What is it? It's 300? Maybe it was a Switch 299? And, you know, if 300 and in my Wii episode, if they're trying to sell consoles at a $50 gain every time they sell one, you know, 350 would be the barrier point. I'd be willing to bet that they're having a hard time breaking that 300 barrier, keeping it below 350, because I don't think they want to go that high. That's just kind of the way that I feel. And I just think that any attempt to, to, to abandon the Switch ecosystem and just shift away from that now would be stupid. Like, people expect... Like, Microsoft did a really great thing when the Xbox launched and making it easy to transition from the One X to the, to the Series X kind of ecosystem with smart delivery and all, all this stuff. I think that was handled very well. Nintendo can't mess this up. <laughs> they absolutely cannot. Or they're just going to waste all of whatever goodwill that they have. And I think they need to be better about delivering more titles for their online service. I think they need to improve that drastically. I think you need to make the Switch a place where online multiplayer is viable for competitive games. Like Fighters, like Fall Guys, like Overwatch. I think that needs to be competitively viable at, at least at the bare minimum. Mario Kart and Smash Bros. should run with no interruptions, right? You, you should be nailing that. I don't think there's any excuse at all. So, uh, and another thing too, Nintendo's been hit with labor issue stuff. I'm not poo-pooing or belittling that. That may very well be its own episode in the near future. Uh, Nintendo needs to fix that stuff immediately because that's inexcusable. And for as much as we hardcore bash Activision Blizzard and everybody else that does this, Nintendo should not be excused for the way they've treated workers. It's inexcusable. So that needs to be addressed and be fixed immediately. And then you just stop suing the pants off everybody. That really is inexcusable as well. It's just, it really is inexcusable. All right, so let's close out the way we have the other two console developers with a couple things that Nintendo needs to do. Uh, they need to figure out the way to emulate the success of the Switch on its next console and significantly upgrade inner and exterior hardware. That's a must. That I don't think that's negotiable. They can't come out of the gate with something that's only marginally better than the Switch and <laughs> with more broken Joy-Cons or Joy-Cons 2, whatever the hell they're going to call them, it's, it's got to be fixed. And I don't think there's no way that Nintendo can pivot away from this, this hybrid model that, that they've found success with and don't think that they will. Uh, number two, increase the offering of its online service to attract more users. Must. I think they need to figure out a way to get work together with some of these other companies and get some licensing agreements set up and get some of these older games, James Bond, 007, GoldenEye, uh, Conquer, uh, you know, some like that. I, just off the top of my head, I can't think of any. Super Mario RPG, like extend the olive branch to Square <laughs> and be like, hey, can we please put Mario RPG on here? I think that would be huge. Lastly, they need to fix the inexcusable labor issues that have been going on. That's a must. I, I don't think we should cut Nintendo any slack for that. Because for whatever reason, Nintendo, just the criticism and these kinds of things just seem to glance off of them. 
they should not be excused any more than any one of these other people. And maybe just calm down on the litigation a little bit. Maybe just don't sue people who are trying to emulate and preserve your games. Uh, I understand you have a right to protect your IPs, but seriously, just just please calm down. Uh, it's not necessary. And stop taking soundtracks off of YouTube, please. I want to listen to them. So please stop taking them down. I really would appreciate that. All right, that has been our State of the Industry 2022. Thank you for listening to me ramble and rant. This was definitely a ranty one. And thank you for considering my nomination for president of video games. I look forward to winning the election and hosting the Jeff Keighley pool party 2023. I'm really hoping I'll get to do that because it'll fulfill all of my wildest fantasies. Uh, if you're looking for the show, you already found it. I'm available on most podcatchers on Spotify and Apple specifically. If you have a moment, if you could please leave a review, a like, a comment, any of that kind of stuff on any podcatcher that you're listening on. It really helps us out. Uh, it makes people see, oh, look, that's, that show has stars on it. We'll listen to that one and uh, brings new people in as a new audience and brings new points of view. And I really enjoy that. So please, if you could leave a like, a review, a rating uh, really helps the show out. Those are all my socials. As always, they're linked in the episode description. If you want to find me on Twitter, that's where I interact with most people. Uh, Instagram is where I do most of my shout outs for all the other shows I listen to. Uh, I don't have a Discord. I probably won't ever run my own Discord because that sounds stressful. Uh, I'm in pretty much every other Discord with every other show that I've interviewed people with so far in the episode catalog. Uh, we're in the Play Along Podcast Discord. We're in the Tales from the Backlog Discord. We're in the Pixel Project Radio Discord. Uh, so many a retro hangover podcast discord uh, so if you're in any of those come say hi to me there i'm i'm in too many other discords i'm not going to try and run and manage my own uh i don't think that's necessary so uh, that's where you can find me and uh yeah i think that about covers it oh also in the episode description link to higher proportions music in the intro all that good stuff go support them they're great guys put out some really really great music uh just make you smile and put a put a big smile on your face so uh as always guys thank you so much for listening i really appreciate it and tweet at me uh, message me if you have any kind of differing opinions or think i was way off the mark on some of these uh, i like hearing you guys' feedback i like discussing these things uh, in a civil manner of course i uh, or if you decide to just yell at me uh, i'll probably just ignore you so uh, as always thank you guys so much for listening as always and make sure m most importantly first and foremost that you guys take care of yourselves <laughs>